Um, if you're wondering about the decor on the platform, this is uh, leftover from this past Thursday where our youth department had an annual Thanksgiving dinner they call Family Night. And uh, we're so excited. Over 200 people came out, Excel students and their parents. And uh, I just want to give props to Jenny and her team uh, for all the work that they put into putting that food together. <laughs> to... Uh, to the youth department, obviously, for all the work that that takes, and to our Adorn ministry. If you're not familiar with Adorn, Adorn is our ministry, especially in this season, that you're going to be noticing a lot, even if you don't know them. And they're the ones that put up decorations like this. And so uh, they were asking me, do you want to keep them up or leave them down? I said, well... You put in a lot of work. Just go ahead and keep it up. And then so we're getting ready to transition anyways with all the Christmas stuff. And so I thought, why not give a little shout out to our youth department? Always has a special place in my heart. And I had just got back uh, actually yesterday. I was in southern Missouri at their youth convention. I was the speaker for their youth convention. And uh, on the way back, it, I had taken Sal with me. I talked about last week. Sal is one of the guys who travels with me. On the way back, our airplane, they usually small airplane planes fly out of that airport. They made an announcement like, hey, we are completely booked and we one of our seats isn't working. And so we need a volunteer to not get on this flight and to reschedule for another flight. And we're offering you $550. And at first I was like, man, if I didn't have a wife, kids, and a job in the morning. <laughs> um, but they were like, you know, nobody answered. Most of the people on that plane were doing connecting flights, you can tell, so they weren't going to go. And then finally they, they upped the price and said, hey, we're, you know, we're offering $750. And you saw Sal's eyebrows go up. I said, brother, you single? You, you got no job in the morning? I was like, go do it. They covered So he went and they gave him like 800 bucks, a hotel room. I'm like, you didn't even pay for this flight. Like, I don't know how you got... All this free stuff. And so, you know, when, when uh, they pick, AJ came to pick us up. AJ is another one of our great leaders. He picked us up from the airport. So when, when he pulls up, he's like, where's Sal? And I was like, oh, my God, Sal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he's like totally perplexed. And I'm like, no, 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 there's, there's a reason. There's a reason. Um, and again, I, I was thinking about that, like, you know, there's usually a reason to things, right? And sometimes it's insane stories like that, but there's almost always a reason for something. And uh, oftentimes we might jump to conclusions or, you know, we might jump to, maybe this is part of a series, maybe Sal's backslidden. Like we might jump to conclusions based on maybe just what we see and not fully understand the reason. And the reason I think it's important to get that and understand that is because we often misjudge people or misjudge situations simply based on what we perceive and not fully understanding the reason behind some of those things. Those of you who are teachers, you might understand this. Oftentimes that student in class who's continually acting up and misbehaving, if you don't understand the background, if you don't understand what they've gone through, you don't get the reason why they're acting up. Or sometimes I've mentioned this, my, my oldest daughter who's been sick the last couple of weeks, she was not in a good mood the last few weeks. And attitude and, and specifically against me, every time I would look at her and go, hey baby, she would just gnarl at me just turn away and not want to acknowledge my presence and I ain't gonna lie it hurt there's a couple times I'm like why are you being like that I didn't even do anything to you I showed up yesterday with gifts because you have to come home with gifts I had all these gifts and she said I don't want them I was like I don't want you like like it just got because I felt bad but then I have to remember like she's not feeling well there's a reason why she's acting horribly horribly mean to the greatest father ever like she she has her reasons 
And I think if we understood maybe a little bit more the reasons behind some of the behaviors that we see or some of the way people are, maybe we'll have a little bit more grace in that. And so there's a story in the Bible I'd like to chime into. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, there's this moment where Jesus is on his way to go heal someone and and he's with his disciples and he's with the family members and he's on this journey to do something and he's interrupted by a woman. And it's a little like story within a story in Mark chapter 5. I wanted you to read with me verse 25 through 34. It says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people cried and against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. If you look at this woman and her life, there's a reason for this moment of desperation. There's a reason why she would risk so much just to touch this man's clothes. And I want to really take some time to look into that. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I looked at is there's a reason for this woman being what I would consider depressed. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly say that, but when you understand her situation, maybe you and I would have some mental health issues too. Because the Bible says that she had uh, an issue of blood or uh, bleeding for 12 years. Now, most scholars believe what this was meaning is that she had issues with her menstrual cycle. She had an irregular period. Imagine talking to 1,200 teenagers about this topic. It was interesting. But she had an irregular period. And so this wasn't just something that was going on for a few months. This was going on for 12 years. Now, According to the rabbinical law, when a woman had her menstrual cycle for typically seven days, she was, to, she was considered ceremonially unclean, and so she was to leave the household. She wasn't allowed to sleep in the same bed as her husband. She had to go out, and again, I know sometimes we look at that and go, well, we don't understand that you're talking about ancient world. This might have been helpful sanitation-wise. Uh, this might have been helpful for the woman. Like, I don't have to do chores. I, don't have to, I just got to leave you. I got a seven-week vacation. Y'all do your thing. I'll come back. Don't burn the house down. So regardless of why she had to do that for seven days, that was the law at that time. But now think about this. She wasn't ceremonially unclean for seven days. She was ceremonially unclean for 12 years. So for 12 years, she was cut off. For 12 years, she was not allowed to go to church because when you're ceremonially unclean, you weren't allowed to gather in the temple. For 12 years, if she was married, she was not allowed to sleep with her husband or be in the same bed as him. For 12 years, if she had children, she wasn't allowed to touch her children. 
She wasn't allowed to be around her family. So for 12 years, she is completely cut off from all of her social environment, from all of the people who care about her. Think about the aftermath of what happened in the last couple of years with the pandemic, just being isolated, the mass effect it did on humanity. Now consider that for 12 years. We were going nuts going on Zoom by the third week. 12 years, she sees them and she can't be with them. And it's not even like it's her fault. She didn't do anything to merit this. This is just the reality of her situation. And I need you to understand as we've talked about this several times throughout this year, we are created for community. The worst thing the penal system can do to you or I is not the death penalty, it's isolation. It is the cruelest thing that anyone could have to endure is being completely cut off from all people. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter two, verse 18 tells us, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, again, a lot of us, we read that passage and we assume they mean it's not good to be single. That's not what it means. Single people, it's not what that means. Okay, a lot of times within church, we've painted singleness like it's something bad. God might have called you to a life of singleness and it's still a great, wonderful life. You know why? Because you don't got to ask, no, I could have been $850 in my pocket and a voucher at a hotel if I was single. <laughs> but I'm not. I had sick kids at home. I got to get home. And so that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, hey, you were created to be alone. And you got to think about this. Man, Adam was not alone. God was with them. They had a relationship, right? This is before the fall. They are good in that sense. But he also understood God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, that man needs somebody that's more on his level too. He needs somebody to help him do all the things that I've set him up to do. And so he didn't just create a wife. He created a helpmate, a companion, a friend, Someone to come alongside him. Even you are the most introverted of people. You still need people. Amen. You still need someone. Listen, I think some of you in this room have very valid reasons for some of your mental health issues. You might have grown up without a parent, feeling cut off and abandoned, either your mom or your dad. And again, we think about that fatherlessness when it comes to teenagers and children, but the effects of that doesn't just go away when you turn 21. There are some of us in this room who are in our upper 60s that still struggle with the fact that you were cut off from a family member. You might've had an unfaithful partner and the sting and the pain and the thoughts that continue to float through your head. You might've been, you might not be on talking terms with family anymore and how painful it is to not be able to talk to them. You might've been even kicked out of a church at a time or two and the pain and the church hurt that you felt from feeling excommunicated. I think it's important to validate from time to time some of those reasons. And I want you to understand the reasons for your mental health are valid or some of the issues that come with your mental health. This woman not only had that issue, but as a result of being cut off, as a result of this issue of blood, the Bible tells us that she also had reason for her suffering. She was in literal physical pain. Uh, people who've kind of studied the scripture, physicians who, who look at it, uh, there's some actual terminology that is too doctorly for me to understand. But if she had 12 year menstrual cycle, essentially an irregular period like that, that means she was more than likely severely anemic, okay? Because she is losing way too much blood. 
And so she's severely anemic, which compromises a number of health issues on top of the fact that it just makes you very weak. And in the addition, she had probably severe cramping all the time. 12 years worth of cramping. Now, as many of you know, my wife has a condition called uh, endometriosis, and, and many women have this condition. It's just not really known. Uh, it's kind of a private thing, but my wife doesn't care, so she doesn't mind if I tell you this. And if you know about endometriosis, it develops scar tissue around the uterine wall, and it starts to pull and attach to other organs in your body. And it literally starts to like, like it's like Spider-Man webbing and then pulling all the organs down. And so her organs are literally getting tugged at on a regular basis. My wife is always in pain, no matter how nice of a smile she has on. And she'll look at me, she goes, I'm like the Hulk, that's my secret, I'm always in pain. <laughs> like that's how she manages pain. Say childbirth, that was fine, I'm always in pain. Like, but most of you would never know it because she seems sweet and nice and caring, she is. Um, but she's almost always like this sweet, happy smile on her face. But just because you have a smile on your face doesn't mean you're not hurting. And I think that's the problem oftentimes in church is we only see the smiles on people's faces. We don't know maybe the physical ailment that they're going through, the emotional pain that they're experiencing, the mental anguish that they have. We don't know the issues that are in and out of their families. There is literal pain going on in many of our lives. And I don't need to know your name to know your pain because I got my own pain. And so we all can kind of coexist and understand each other a little bit because we all have experienced pain. And the reality is when you know somebody else is hurting, it somehow makes you feel a little bit better because you understand that I'm not the only one. And that's the enemy's favorite lie is that you're the only one. No one else understands this. No one else is going through this. No one else feels this. It's just you. Something's wrong with you. But the truth is we all have pain. And we can all relate with each other. And even better than that, Jesus has experienced pain. And he can relate with you and I. Isaiah 53, verse 3, says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 through 16, This high priest of ours, meaning Jesus, understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do yet he did not sin so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most the reason we can go to God is because he understands our pain because he's felt it Again, I mentioned my, my kids are sick. My little one right now, she's the one. You know, I hate, kids don't ever catch it at the same time. It's always staggering. It's like one gets it, and then a few days later, the other one gets it. And so the little one's got it now, and she's just walking around the house. <laughs> ow. <laughs> ow. <laughs> ow. And my heart is ripping out of my chest. I'm like, oh, baby, come here. Don't get me sick, but come here. Why? Because the father's heart hurts when his children hurt. This is why we can go boldly to the throne of grace because we know that our father understands our pain because he feels it as well. Some of you have very valid reasons for the suffering that you've endured. You might've experienced abuse growing up. You might've had an accident that's never left you physically right. You might have some long-term health issues. Your quality of life is not what it should be. We all have things that we're going through and we all have pain that we're going through even if there's smiles on our faces. I imagine this woman on a day-to-day -day tried to keep a smile on, but there's no doubt that she was hurting. 12 years is a long time to go through that. 
And it's no wonder that at some point she had every reason to not want to try anymore. Why? Well, the Bible tells us she tried with many doctors and spent all her money and still no results. Matter of fact, she was worse than when she started. One of the hardest things in life is giving something a chance and seeing no results. It's trying and then failing. Because when you fail, you don't want to try again. Right? I'm sure many of us in this room have tried going to a doctor, have tried seeking counseling, have tried talking to a pastor, have tried opening up to other family members, have tried going on medication. But pastor, I've tried and, and I'm still in the same situation or I still feel the same way. As a matter of fact, I'm even worse. I tried talking to you and I realized you're an idiot. You don't even know anything. I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't claim to be smart. I just love you. Some of you have tried church. You tried reading your Bible. You tried putting on worship music. And you're frustrated because you just feel like it's not working. And it gets to a point where you're like, I come here week in, week out, and nothing's changed, Pastor. I don't want to do it anymore. Some of us have even tried the wrong kind of doctors just to get past our issues. Entertainment, just to numb yourself just watching show after show after show because the reality of life is a little too hard. Social media to distract you. Think about this. Unconsciously, anytime there's a momentary pause in your life, this is gonna be the natural reaction. You ever notice that? Anytime. If you're in line somewhere, it's like, <laughs> why? It's a distraction. And I get it, it's a good distraction sometimes, but a lot of times it's a way that we try to cope with the realities of what we're going through. And what happens is at some point the battery runs out. Some of us, you went to drugs to try to hide away. Some of us use alcohol to temporarily create some happiness. Some of us turn to improper sexual relationships or pornography for momentary pleasure. Some of us go to self-harm in order to feel something some of us have even gone as far as continually contemplating suicide because we think it's better to just not even be here than to cause even other people to suffer. And that's not anything new. In the Bible, there was a man named Elijah who got to a pretty dark place. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4 through 7, it says, While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. I love that God didn't respond angrily to Elijah's request. He simply gave him food and a nap. I ain't gonna lie. Sometimes that's all we need. <laughs> Three o'clock on a Sunday, give me food and give me a nap. Let me rest. But here, here's the truth. There are times where you're so overwhelmed with everything going on that all you want to do is go to sleep. I just want to go to sleep and wake up and hope that it's all gone. Sometimes you just, I just need something. You ever had that? Like, oh, I'm, I'm just hungry. I'm just hungry. I love that God, in his grace and in his love, he tended to his weakness as opposed to just yelling at him for not being strong. Some of us have very valid reasons for wanting to give up. 
You've tried and failed. You might even be embarrassed and you might not have any energy to keep going forward. This woman goes through all this and after all that, her situation is actually worse than when it started. She had all the reasons in life to give up. She had all these reasons to just accept her miserable life. And then she saw a reason for hope. See, I need you to understand this because this is important. This is kind of the crux to this whole message. I want to validate your reason because I think too often we have told people to get over it. We've told people, whatever, people go through stuff. Life is hard. Move on. It is what it is. And we invalidate their pain. We invalidate their suffering. We invalidate what they're going through. And I want you to understand what you are experienced in life, what you've gone through, what you've had to endure. I want to validate that. You have every reason to be angry. You have every reason to be mad at the church. You have every reason to be upset with family. You have every reason even to hold it against God. You have have every reason. The difference is when Jesus shows up, you have your reasons, you just don't have excuses anymore. Too often we've made our reasons into our excuse. And we've created this reason as an excuse to treat people badly, as an excuse to be unfaithful, as an excuse to not go to church anymore, as an excuse to give up on life. You have reasons, but no one has an excuse because we all have access to Jesus now. See, this woman sees Jesus and she realizes, I might have all my reasons for all these bad things, but walking over there is my reason for hope. Walking over there is my opportunity to change, to possibly, maybe get out of this situation. She saw a reason for hope and everything changed. Worship team, if you can help me out. This is one last desperate move. And why not? She tried everything else. Listen, let's go back to Mark chapter five, verse 27. She heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed from this terrible condition. She heard about Jesus. She didn't know Jesus. She hasn't experienced Jesus. She hasn't seen Jesus do anything. She's only ever heard about Jesus. Still, hearing about Jesus might just be enough. She's willing to risk it all and try to at least, at least touch the hem of his cloak, which even that is a very interesting thing because there's no evidence in scripture that touching Jesus' clothes would bring healing. We don't see that anywhere else. We don't see him like going to a sick person, taking off his jacket and throwing it on their face. This wasn't based on any scripture, on any truth. This was literally superstition. This was wishful thinking. This is like saying, man, if I could just put on P. Joy's jean jacket, man, I will be as handsome as him. That's wishful thinking. Okay? Takes a lot of work to be this. This is rooted in the greatest, most powerful thing you and I could ever have. She had faith, not in his clothes, but in the one who's wearing them. See guys, you gotta be careful. You cannot put your faith in the things of Jesus instead of Jesus. You can't put, this church, that's his clothes, that's not him. 
Like the building, that's his, that's his garment, that's not him. Oh, every time I walk in the building, uh, I just feel his presence. No, no, every time you walk in the presence of Jesus, you feel his presence. Because that can be any building. That can be a shack. That can be outdoors. It doesn't matter. And too often we've confused his clothes with his presence. We, we've confused things with him. And the real, like, reality is she's trying to get to him, not necessarily his clothes. So if you go on reading in Mark 5, verse 30, it says Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then, he, then the woman, frightened, trembling with realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith, not my clothes, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and suffer no more. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. In a moment, I want to open up this altar area for those of you in this room who need to touch Jesus. Everyone in this room, we got our own issues. This woman had an issue of blood. You got your own issue. You got what you're going through. You got what you're struggling with. You got what you're suffering with. Some of you, it might be a physical ailment. Some of you, it might be a mental or a spiritual ailment. Regardless of what it is, I'm not here to measure our pain. It's what you got. And some of you, like this woman, have probably gotten to the point where you've just given up. Yeah, I keep coming to church, but I don't even try anymore, Pastor. Because I don't feel like it's working. Well, I want you to notice something. Okay, because this is the difference. This is what's going to change your life when it comes to your interaction with God. The Bible says that there was a crowd around him and the woman touched him and Jesus notices and he asks, who touched me? Now, think about this. The disciples think it's a silly question because so many people are bumping into Jesus. He's literally walking through a crowd and so person after person is bumping into Jesus. You think that none of those other people had the issues? None of them needed a healing. None of them needed a miracle. None of them needed to touch Jesus. You don't think anybody else in that crowd needed an encounter with Jesus. And yet so many people are bumping into Jesus and not experiencing what the woman experienced. What's the difference? You keep bumping into God when you show up. When you hear the music. When you hear the preaching. When you're hanging around Christians. You're bumping into Jesus. But the woman reached out. The woman reached out in faith. See, a lot of you are like, man, I just feel something here. Yeah, but if you were willing to reach out, you'd experience something. It's great that you're here, but you're never going to experience what God has for you until you have enough faith to reach out. And some, oh, that's awkward, Pastor. I got, do I have to walk up here? No, you don't have to. Jesus could have healed that woman if she would have prayed a mile away. But her faith was moved in action when she stepped out of her comfort zone, risked excommunication, even death, to get to the hem of his garment. And you're telling me, Pastor, I can't get out of my seat. Then you can go ahead and suffer another 12 years. At some point, you gotta have enough faith to move, to reach out and say, God, I need you tonight. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to lead us in a song. 
And if you're here and you need to reach out to Jesus, you need to touch him. You need a miracle. You need a healing. You need restoration. You need power. I want to encourage you as they sing, would you make your way out? And in a moment, we're going to pray for you. Come on, if that's you, I don't care what your issue is. I don't care what you're going through. You need a touch of Jesus. You need his presence in this room. You need healing in your heart. You need restoration in your family.